Read with me beginning in verse 36, please. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invite him, invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is and who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There's a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This last week, one of the types of sermons that we talked to the young men about building were biography and storytelling. This is not a biography, but, but it is storytelling. And it's interesting to me how Jesus uses storytelling. He uses a story to tell Simon something Simon is not seeing about himself. And so we look at this particular narrative and we see two completely different people with two completely different ideologies and two completely different ideas about Jesus himself. We see one person in this story who we might say would be comfortable in an assembly like this. And we see a second person who may not be 
as comfortable in an assembly like this. We see one man, we see one person, a man, Simon, who might be welcomed into an assembly like this. We see one person, a woman, who might not be as welcomed into an assembly like this. You know, it's so exciting. It's so exciting to see the expression of faith and obedience of someone who has come to the recognition of the lost condition of their soul. When Amelia obeyed the gospel Friday night, you could just tell there was a glow and a beam about her as she came up out of that water and people greeted her. There's something uniquely refreshing about seeing someone who is lost and now in that moment is saved. But I wonder if as we continue to proceed in our lives as people who are saved, if we don't begin to settle and begin to think ourselves maybe just a little bit more righteous than the person who's just come to the Lord. I mean, after all, we've been here a while. And maybe what we've lost sight of is something significant that that new babe in Christ has come face to face with. Maybe we've lost the punch and the power of what it is to be lost and to be saved. But the following question is, is do we have to have some sort of catastrophic lost experience to realize the great need of salvation? Surely that would not be the case. Surely we would appreciate, surely we would appreciate each moment that we had to live before the Lord. Each moment be refreshed knowing with deep gratitude, with heartfelt appreciation, what it is to be saved. This story, I think, challenges us to think about these things. The first thing I'd like to ask with regard to this is, where is the love? You see in the narrative a man named Simon. Simon sees himself. I put C's, capital S, capital E, capital E, capital S. He sees himself. You see the emphasis there. He sees himself as someone not in great need of forgiveness. We have the woman. She comes in the house of Simon. I do not get that she was invited to the house. There's a gathering of people in the house, and she comes to the house. Jesus is a guest in Simon's house. This woman finds her way into the house, and like many people who interact with Jesus, comes face to face with him, as it were, sees him, and realizes who she is and what she is. 
Do you remember the story when Jesus is traveling through the city and he encounters the funeral procession of the young man of Nain? And there's a company of people who are uh, accompanying him to the burial. But in that particular time, there's an intersection of, of a person that touches Jesus, a woman who had a great issue of blood that for 12 years had spent everything she had to be healed. And she intersects with Jesus and just longs to touch his garment and he feels the power going out of him. Well, this is another one of those intersecting times. Jesus is, in, Jesus is in the house of Simon. And behold, a woman who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus was at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Jesus seems to be an invited guest into the house of Simon. She hears about Jesus being in the house. She comes, and she's so moved. She's so moved about who she is and who Jesus is that she begins to accord to him the most normal things of hospitality. And one thing she does is she's crying so profusely that the tears are enough to wash his feet. And then evidently the hair on her head is so thick and so profuse that she's able to dry his feet with the hair of her head. We see this woman, and we see the deep need of this woman. It is overtly expressed, and she comes to Jesus. And Jesus manifests something to her. Why, why didn't Jesus, sorry, why didn't Simon see Jesus and this woman? Well, perhaps the text tells us, it helps us. Perhaps it was because of his point of view about Jesus. I mean, when Jesus comes in the house, Simon has his place. Simon's at the center. Simon's got his chief seat at the place. He's going to be the center of attention. And here's Jesus. We'll just give him kind of a, a sidebar seat over here. And notice what he says. If he knew, notice, verse 39, notice how he addresses him. This man, if he were a prophet, did you get that? He doesn't say, here's the son of God. Simon the Pharisee has Jesus in his house, and he says, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who or what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Do you see his point of view about Jesus? He doesn't accord him the place of regality, any of respect. He just kind of relegates him to his own seat over here. And then says, if he knew, he is supposing how Jesus should be thinking and identifies him as this man. Second, maybe because of his point of view of this woman. This woman comes in. And she doesn't seem to be necessarily welcomed. I mean, the question is, what is she doing here? Why is she here? It's like Simon is saying, you know, 
this party and hospitality is for good people. And grace is also for good people. And who's this woman to impose herself or to invite herself to my party because we all know who she is. Hospitality is for good people. Grace is for people who barely need it. Grace is for people who deserve it. And this woman doesn't deserve to be here. And so, Jesus says, do you see her? I find that an interesting question. It's kind of like the statement in Genesis chapter 3. Whenever God's walking in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve are hiding, and the Lord says, where are you? Well, the Lord knew where they were. He wasn't asking the question for information. And now then he's asked Simon, here's this, this rhetorical, this obvious question. Do you see her? Well, duh. Yeah, she's right here. Of course I see her. Yes, I see her. And the question is not, do you see her physically? The question is, do you see her? Do you see, do you see her deep need? Or is the only thing you're seeing about her is that she is a sinner and she doesn't deserve to set her feet in my house, much less touch the feet of this man. Do you see Simon's attitude in this? Do you see his thought process going on in this? And so the question then comes, where is the love that he should have? The second question that I think is interesting then is, we need his grace. When Simon sees this woman, who does he see? Does he see a woman in need of grace? If, if we had the powers to discern hearts, and just a pause, of all the spiritual gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12, the one I think I would desire the least would be the spiritual gift to discern hearts. That would drive a person crazy. And here is this woman. Imagine for just a moment. Each one of us had the ability to discern the sins of the person sitting next to us, behind us, or in front of us right now. Would we move? Or would they have already moved? You see, Simon's blindness enabled him, did not enable him to see this woman, but Jesus sees this woman and he sees Simon both. But Simon's, Simon's blindness prevented him from seeing the deep, deep need for grace. So Jesus says, 
let me tell you a story. Here is this person who has this insurmountable debt that cannot be paid. And someone comes along and they pay that for them. And then here's this person that has this insurmountable debt and they can kind of cover that themselves. Which one, which one appreciates the relief of the debt the most? Well, the answer is obvious. The one who owes the most. We see that, don't we? We get that, don't we? You know, back to that question. Here Simon comes and invites this woman into her house. And maybe, maybe I have my list of sins. But maybe my list of sins aren't as egregious or as flagrant or as hurtful or harmful as the person sitting next to me. But assuming their list of sins is more harmful, more egregious than my sins, if their sins are forgiven and mine are the little sins, you know, not the ugly sins that we talk about, but the little sins, the respectable sins, you know, like the silent sins, like envy, like hatred, like bitterness, like malice, those kinds of sins. If a person has a list of egregious sins, and everybody knows the list of egregious sins, but nobody knows my minor list of sins, then who's going to appreciate it the most? See, Jesus sees both Simon and the woman. Simon only sees himself. And so Jesus says, in this story, who is going to appreciate forgiveness the most? You see, you have a man that is respectable, but in sin. And you have a woman that is irreputable, but in sin. What you have is you have all kinds of varieties of sins. And you have all kinds of varieties of sinners. But you have one consequence. There's not a variety of consequences. The variety of consequences for both respectable and irreputable are eternal consequences. So, the question then is, where's the need of grace? It's almost like Simon is thinking, you know, God's going to grade on the curve. You, know, you remember what that was in school? I was a person in school who was highly dependent upon the curve. I despised people who were curve busters. Because what that meant was, I could not get the benefit of my lack of study and my laziness and my failure to apply myself. But if somebody else had the audacity to study and apply themselves and make a hundred on the test, how insulting to me who was too lazy and too careless to study and make my 30. I mean, come on. Can't you smart people give us lazy people the benefit of having a little bit of an aptitude about you? That's the curve, right? God's going to grade on a curve. And that's somewhat like going to the bank and getting a loan. 
You know how to the bank, go to the bank and get a loan? If, if, you, if we go to the bank and get a loan and say, you know, I'm really destitute. Okay, fill out this application. Give me all the list of your resources. Give me everything that would justify me lending you that money. And you hand back a blank sheet of paper. I'm destitute. I have nothing. Well, I'm sorry. We can't loan you any money. However, if I come to the bank and ask for a loan, and I fill out the sheet of paper that is two arm lengths long in such fine print you would never read it with a microscope, and on that I have millions to back up why I need this loan, now you can get the loan. It's almost like Simon's saying, here's grace. Grace is for people who don't deserve it. I mean, they've got their application filled out. It's a list long of things that are right in their life, and they don't need grace, so we'll give you grace. But here's the person who is destitute in great need of grace, and they can't have it because they've got nothing to justify the loan with. So, you don't get the grace. We don't get the grace. She doesn't get the grace in Simon's eyes. Simon, in his eyes, doesn't need the grace. And so, Simon thinks to himself and says, you know, I'm really pretty good. Maybe, probably not. You remember that naughty little passage that appears later in the Bible that says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the grace of, fallen short of a fall of sin that falls short of the grace of God, and we are justified freely by His grace. We're justified freely by His grace. Why? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God are justified freely by His grace. Did you get that? Justified freely, not because you can justify it yourself, justified freely by His grace. And Simon doesn't recognize. This woman can be justified freely by his grace because she needs it the most. And the truth of the matter is, he needed it just as bad as she did. But he didn't see the need. Forgiveness is not based on my ability or your ability to justify the expenditure of the blood of Christ. Forgiveness grows out of the nature of God. Two passages, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 1. You know, when this story first unfolds, this woman comes to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't refuse her. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, And the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible to God who alone is wise be honor, glory forever and ever. Paul is saying, I have sat in the seat of that woman and God didn't refuse me. 
Turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Look, begin reading in verse 4. Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. When the kindness, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared toward man, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. His forgiveness is based and grows out of his nature. When someone, when someone shuns us, when someone hurts us, when there's an agreement that someone has against us, how do we respond to that? Do we respond in a, in a, in a fit of, of anger? Or do we respond like Jesus did? Speaking of this woman and freely offer grace. Here was the deep need, and Jesus freely gave. The third thing I'd like you to see is His grace makes us love Him. His grace makes us love him. And look back again in the narrative in Luke chapter 7 with me now. In verse 44 it says, Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Do you see, Simon, Jesus said, Simon, I came into your house, and those normal things that accord, that accord hospitality, you did not give them to me. This woman has been hospitable in the extreme to me. And I want you to see something about this woman. Do you, do you see her? Therefore I say to you, who, who? Which, I say to her, therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. His grace makes us love him even more. Now, what was there about this woman that made her so commendable with regard to how she responded to Jesus with these acts of hospitality? The first thing I would suggest is because of who she turned to. It's as though this woman had been saying, I've been running all my life towards sin. And now there's been a change and I'm running as hard as I can away from sin. I fear when we begin to sit in the seat of Simon, if that should occur to us, it's because we forgot something that was significant in the beginning of our walk with the Lord. We have pulled up anchor. Repentance is an anchor that is set in place, that is absolute, no small print, no excuses. It is that state of mind that says, I am through with sin, 
and I'm going to say yes to God. In other words, in, these woman's, in this woman's words, I am through with running away from sin, running towards sin. I am going to change. I'm going to run away from sin. And here's our challenge for us who have been Christians for a long time. We get so far removed from that point in time in which we said, I am going to put off the old man and put on the new man. I am going to have this change of mind to all intents and purposes in the ideal. I'm going to set that as an anchor not to be pulled up, or in Paul's words, not to be repented of. We find ourselves so far removed from that fundamental commitment that we forget that we said we're going to stop running towards sin. We're going to run away from sin. We can't forget that. I remember what Paul says to the Thessalonians. You remember that? They turn from serving idols to serving the living God. They turn from running one way to now running away and running toward, to run toward the Lord. That's significant for us. This woman seemed to realize that. Second thing about this woman is who she now serves. Who's she going to serve now? She came in to serve the Lord. Simon is in his presence and does nothing to offer himself to her. And the third thing that she sees is how she sees herself. You see, this whole story is about not Simon and the woman, but it's about me and you. It's about us. How do we see ourselves? And that's going to have a whole lot to do with how we see others. Do we see ourselves like Simon? Or do we see ourselves like this woman? Do we see ourselves in a saved relationship with the Lord and we're doing pretty good, hunky-dory, peachy king, unless something comes along and throws us a hard curveball and we swing and miss, then we sit, are things rocking along pretty good in our lives? We're a little bit further away from the Baptist, we're miles away from the Baptist than when we first began, and hey, things are going pretty good for me. And then I begin to see myself differently. Instead of seeing myself as one who has need for another to pay my debt. And we all have a debt that needs to be paid and we can't pay it. And when I see myself having removed myself from the distance of that debt having been paid, how then am I going to see others? Do I see others in need, deep need of that debt? And then finally, in Luke chapter 7 and verse 50. Then he said to this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus doesn't justify this woman. Jesus is not soft on this woman. He's not whitewashing her sins. He says, your sins are forgiven you. Go in peace. When sins are forgiven, peace follows. The troubled conscience is because sins aren't forgiven. And there's no peace. And he says to this woman, now you can have peace. I've always wondered, because the story shifts in Luke 8, what was Simon's next response to all this? Did Simon get it? I mean, the story's obvious. It's right in his face. But did Simon really get it? I'd, li I'd like to have a postscript. P.S. Simon learned the lesson. But here's the postscript. It's not will you learn the lesson. It's will I learn the lesson. 
I'm reminded of the story of the conversation between the preacher and the banker. The banker says, I don't come to church because it's kind of like a bank, a, a, a bank banquet. It's kind of cold and stale. And everybody there already has their lives together. And the preacher answered the banker and said, you know, you're right. Going to church is a lot like that because there's a lot of people there just like you who haven't realized the deep need. Our question is, there's two people here. One's respectable, one's brokenhearted. One's going to have joy and peace, the other's going to have misery. Am I so filled with gratitude because of the abundant grace of God that answered my deep need? That I will be moved to see that grace is in deep need of others, even we who may appear to be the most righteous. Little Caleb Thompson said Friday night, God's word is a mirror that we can look into and see our reflection. I loved that line when he put it together. And I'll close with that. God's word is a mirror into which we can look and see a reflection. And when I look into that mirror, do I see Simon or do I see the woman? And if I see the woman, do I see the need of Jesus? And if I see Simon, am I willing to become broken like that woman to see the deep need? Thank you for listening so well. We're going to have a prayer, and then Will's going to lead us in a song, and we'll be dismissed to our classes. Thank you. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.